Good morning. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, let the words of your servant's mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Through Christ, amen. Our scripture readings this morning come from Psalm 96, Matthew 28, and John 20. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all of the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. John 20, verses 21 and 22. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Is that better? Ooh, so sorry about that. Should I start over again? My name is Scott Sundquist. I just walked off the street and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, The last time I was here was for J. Ramsey Michaels' uh, memorial service and it brings back a lot of memories. 
And um, I'm honored to be here today. I want to thank you for the opportunity to proclaim the Word of God in New Hampshire. I'm from Massachusetts, so I've come all the way to a new state here. I have only proclaimed the Word of God, as I can recall, two other times in New Hampshire, and neither time did I start a revival. So maybe this time will be different. Maybe they'll have that kind of impact today. I'd also like to publicly congratulate Chris and Jamie on having another child because I looked at some of the sermons online and I found out that that's an announcement. Families are great. Children are a gift of the Lord. They're a reward from God. Uh, So we should all praise God for that. Let me begin with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the one who has gathered us from many places and corners of the earth to be here today to listen to your word, to attend to you, to be forgiven, to be able to be open and honest about our sins, and then to be filled with your spirit and sent by your spirit into a hurting world. Speak to us, Lord. Give us hearts that are tender, ears that are open, and hands that are willing to work for the sake of your kingdom. Inspire us by your word, Lord. We need you. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning I have a simple and clear goal. To make sure that this church makes the main thing the main thing. This has been the focus of my life since I became a Christian I won't tell you when, but it was many years ago. I was 16 years old, and I had a clear sense that God was actually saying, are you going to follow me or not? And I finally said, yes, and I knew everything would change from that point on. And I'm trying to make, in my own life, the main thing the main thing, and that's what I want to leave today, so by the time I'm done, I hope that we are all clear about that. I seek to make sure that the preoccupation of this church in the coming years is the preoccupation of the Lord of the church, and that's Jesus Christ. I will do this simply by following this line of thought, very simple line of thought. The last words spoken are the top priority. I'm going to repeat that. The last words spoken are the top priority. So here we go. In the fall of 2018, I had to say goodbye. I was preparing to move from the Pacific to the Atlantic. Literally, we could walk up the hill by where we lived and see the Pacific Ocean, and now we can walk a half a mile from our house and see the Atlantic Ocean. So this was a big move from California to Massachusetts. I knew that most of the people I was leaving I would never see again. You know, I'm going across country and, you know, we can't just fly around all the time and visit people. So it was a clean break. I actually thought a lot about what I would say and how I would say it as I was leaving. I had poured my life into 21 faculty and 10 staff and administrators. In addition, I had formal and informal relationships with another 30 or 40 people at the seminary where I was teaching. Much was accomplished during my seven and a half years there, and now I was going to be leaving. So I wanted to end well. Have you ever thought about that? You want to finish well? 
We want to end well. So I wanted to say goodbye in a way that would be appropriate. I thought this was important. Would I just say goodbye? Would I say, well, may never see you again. This is it. You know, I'm leaving. Well, goodbye just seemed a little bland, a little kind of plain. Love you all. Well, I could have said that, but I'm not sure I love them all. I was trying to, to be a Christian, but let's face it, you know, relationships are sometimes difficult. So the truth is, I wasn't sure what to say. Well, then I was guided by people much brighter than myself. One person was a fourth century monk. Can you believe that? I was guided by a fourth century monk named Mark the Ascetic. And I was also guided by a 20th century businessman named Max Dupree. I decided to say goodbye by saying thank you. Because Mark the ascetic said the foundation of the Christian life, in other words, what, what we start off on in the Christian life is thanksgiving. Now, this is very important because in most religions, you don't start off with thanksgiving. In most religions, you go into a temple, you go into a wat, you go into a mosque, and you plead and you ask for help and everything. But see, when we come in, I didn't check. Is there a cross back there? Oh, good. I'm so glad. Uh, when we come into church, we see a cross, and the cross says, I understand, I know your sin, I'll pay the price, you're forgiven. So the first thing we do in the Christian life is we thank God. He's already solved the problem. That's not true in other religions at all. And so the foundation of the Christian life, Mark the ascetic said, is thanksgiving. So I said, what I want to leave, when I leave, I want to say thank you. And so I did. I went around to the, the mail room and I thanked him, the custodian that would clean our office, and I thanked him. I thanked the faculty. I went to their offices. We had a faculty meeting. I thanked them. And then we had a Thanksgiving service. So I left where we all were thanking God for what, what he had done. Now, the reason I did all that is because I think the last words should be the top priority. The top priority in the Christian life, believe it or not, is thanksgiving for what God has already done. Let me give you one other illustration of how last words are the top priority. Many of you have children, have had children, or many of you have gone to college or are going to go to college or send somebody to college. And when we took our first child off to college, we went from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia, and she was going to college in West Philly at a place called the University of Pennsylvania. And it's a very different place from Pittsburgh, and we weren't sure about, you know, saying goodbye, and it was our first one going off, so Nancy and I drove to Philadelphia, and then took out the things and put in the room, and then uh, said, well, let's go out to lunch. Said, well, Dad, I need to get to meet people. Well, we'll go out to lunch and then say goodbye, okay? All right, you know, so you ate real fast. I said, well, let's get dessert. Shall we get, let's, let's stay here a little bit. No, no, Dad, I want to go now. I need to go and, and meet people. Okay, you know, so we drove back to the dorm, and um, I said, well, Caroline, let me help set up some of your things and unpack your boxes and that. Dad, you have to leave now. <sighs> so, so what do you do? You don't want to get it wrong. So I rolled down the window. Remember rolling down windows? <laughs> I rolled down the window, and I looked up. There was Caroline, Dad, can I look at me? What did I say? You know what I said right I love you I love you Caroline 
all of a sudden, I didn't know if I was going to see her again. That seems crazy. She's just going off to college. They do it all the time. But I didn't want to get it wrong. So I looked her in the eye. I wanted to give her confidence in who she was. She was loved, which is the basic thing we all need, right? So I told her I loved her. And then left and went off. You see, last words are the top priority. Jesus had last words. Did you know that? His last words actually came two times. On the cross, he spoke some semi-last words. It seemed like the last words because he was dying, right? So we could look at those last words and then look at the real last words because they weren't expecting him to come back after that. So here are the last words on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. That is interesting. The very time he's being physically abused and tortured, he doesn't say, Lord, get them. He says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he says, today you will be with me in paradise to the man next to him who's on the cross. And then he said, behold, your son, behold your mother. Remember, looking down at Mary. And then he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One of the most troubling words in the Bible. Like God is in, in this tension and this violence even against himself in order to save all of humanity. And then he says a very human thing. I thirst. And then he says, it is finished, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Those seem to be his last words. Forgiving, bringing people together, the angst, the pain of suffering. But these are not the words I'm going to preach on today. I'm going to speak on what were the really, really last words of Jesus. These are the final words that he spoke after he was brutally killed, after he was surprisingly raised from the dead, and, after, and just before he was miraculously ascended. Brutally killed, surprisingly raised, and miraculously ascended. This morning we're going to look at the really last words, and they are among the most important words Jesus spoke. This is my thesis. Among the most important words Jesus spoke were those last words. So listen again, if you would, to the last words. I'm going to read, read them from Luke. Did you know all four Gospels record last words of Jesus? In Luke, it's like this. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city till you've been clothed with power from on high. Now, we could read it also in Mark, which I'm not gonna do, but I'm going to repeat from Matthew 28 the context here. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, and when they saw him, they what? They worshiped him, but some doubted. Sounds like a typical human thing, right? They all, I mean, he was raised from the dead. 
that's going to wake you up. And they worshiped him. But then some said, okay, this is this really true? I mean, was he really dead? You know, there, there's always doubters, right? And then he said to them, last words, top priority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then what does he say? Thus, go, or as you're going, make disciples of all nations. I think that's fascinating. I just, I mean, you would think the first thing he would say is, okay, calm down, let's all get together here. I know it's been a rough time. You think you've had it rough? What about me? I've had a rough time, you know, going like that. But he says, no, go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and teaching them, or making disciples, teaching them. That's the same thing. Everything I've commanded you, and relax. I'm with you to the end of the age. Last words, top priority. Now, many of you may not have thought of what it means to harmonize the Gospels, but we have something similar. In John 20, 21, it says, uh, he came to them and, and said, peace be with you, because if somebody walks through the wall who you think is dead, you're going to be shocked. Well, let's face it, okay? So the first thing he says, relax, peace be with you, okay? It's okay. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Again, I'm just shocked. I would think he would spend a lot of time in therapy, you know, we're like, oh, let me tell you what happened. I know what you're feeling, you know. I know you need to get together, stay together, and talk about it, share some of your experiences. But no. The command is to go. The first thing he says is peace, and the second thing he says is go. As the Father has sent me. So if you're asking, well, what does he mean? He says, well, has the Father sent me? How did he send him? Well, he didn't send him with power. He sent him with a word and a clear message. He sent him with power in order to heal. He didn't send with earthly power, so you go through all the ways that Jesus was sent. Well, that's the way we're sent, so go. Well, to put this in perspective, what else might Jesus have said as he was preparing to leave for good? Don't worry, he's going to come back. I know that. I mean, for good, for now. He says, he could have said, well, it's really been a great time with you all. Sorry it ended so suddenly. Didn't really expect that. Or he could have said, if this thing is going to continue, you have to get organized. Peter, divide them up into groups of 12, just like I did. And remember, you know, you should have some meetings and make sure you choose the right date to have your annual meeting. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Or he could have said, remember these five pillars of following me. If you do this and this and this, then you'll be saved. So preach, heal, teach, fast, and have daily devotion. This is what most religions are reduced to, you know that. Certain prescribed things that you must do. You must wash the image of the Buddha, put gold leafing on the Buddha, light joysticks, bring food to the Buddha. Most religions are reduced to those activities. Or he could have said, make sure you organize carefully with everyone having an equal vote, and make sure you have clear, precise theological descriptions of what you believe. It is shocking that he wasn't more specific. He said, make disciples and teach them all that I taught you. And that's it. It's fairly general. It's not real specific. It's a little bit troubling, actually. It would have been nice if he'd been a little bit more specific. But these last words established the church. And the church was established first as a movement, 
and then as an institution. Did you catch that? The first thing he says is not gather together, it's go. So the church is established this way, not this way. I think it's so odd. The last things that he said, I think, are the most important. Go make disciples. Again, Jesus established the church as a movement. It's an important truth that I think we've often forgotten. Yes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all remembered and they all recorded that Jesus sent them out as his last words. Luke records it twice, at the end of Luke and then the beginning of Acts, his two-part book. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's that mixed, mixed race there, to the ends of the earth, and that would be Portsmouth, or in my case, Beverly. I mean, if you're in Jerusalem, who would ever think of coming all the way here to bring the good news of Christ? They remembered, and they all lived into those words. The lives of the apostles proved that they took those words seriously, the most important words they had. So let's look at these last words of Jesus, for I believe they may be the most important words for us today. Here's a summary of the, of the five different Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts of what is said. Number one, go. All five explicitly say that we are to go, not stay and lay down immovable foundations, but keep moving. That is so important. All five make it clear that Jesus' final statement is don't just stay here. Move, move out. Secondly, all nations or ethnic groups to all the world. This is in all five books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. It says either all nations or to all the world or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Panta ethne, all nations, is not what Jesus was doing in his ministry. He was, says, my ministry is among the Jews. And that was, that was what he was supposed to do. But now something new has happened. Now that I've died and I've raised from the dead, now it's for everybody. And that was hard for them. That was very hard for them. Many of them refused to go beyond the Jews because they were special people. The third thing that's mentioned in all of these passages is preaching, teaching, or witnessing. Different words are used, but there is verbal proclamation. There's explaining, teaching, telling people things. In all five, there's a responsibility to communicate the message. In Mark, it's the good news. People need to hear good news, don't they? We live in such a stressful world, so much loneliness, so much anger and violence and division. Seems like everybody's heart is divided. Everything is either or, either or. We need good news. This is the really good news. This is not just good news. This is really good news because it goes to the very foundation of who we are in our creation. We are made, as was mentioned, in the image of God. Those, those are beautiful words. I think I still have it up here. Isn't that great? I agree with Chris. Two wonders here I confess, my worth and my unworthiness. In our world, most 
all, all the way here is my unworthiness or my anger or I'm not cared for, whatever. But it's a great wonder, my worth. And then secondly, my value fixed. My ransom paid at the cross. My value is fixed. If you came here today not feeling very good, I want to remind you again that that cross is unbelievable. You can spend the rest of your life meditating on the power of that cross, what God has done for you. And as was explained to me many years ago, and I find it just as true today, if you were the only one, he would have died for you. Amen. And then what is this message that's to go out into all the world? Forgiveness or repentance. It's described two different ways. Forgiveness and repentance or repentance towards forgiveness. It's assumed in Matthew to obey all these things is what he says. But in Luke and John, it is to be saved, which is the word of the goal of the preaching, to be saved. Thus, it's explicitly expressed in four out of five of the passages. And then finally, and this is the really good news for us, power. Power. In four of the five passages, it's made very clear that God is, Jesus is sending his Holy Spirit. You're not just going out on your own, yep, I need to take more seminary classes. And by the way, that's true, you should take more seminary classes. And I'll be telling you about that later. But you don't need seminary classes, you need the Holy Spirit. And seminary classes. But the idea is the empowerment of words, no matter how much you've learned, is going to come through the Holy Spirit of God. It's not just a human thing. Often we think we have to do it all ourselves, but the amazing truth, it's another paradox of the Christian faith, is the power in our words and our lives does not come from us working harder, trying harder, stressing out more, but by emptying ourselves. If we are empty of self and our desires, we can be filled with His Holy Spirit. But if we're full of ourselves, if you pardon the expression, we're of no value. We have no power. And so he says in four out of five of these, it's explicit that we're not alone. We are not the power ourselves to bring the faith. The mission of God is empowered by the gift of God, the Holy Spirit. And he breathed it on them and said, oh, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came and the apostles went out. So we may decide in the church to take a weekly offering. It's a good idea. We may decide to elect elders or deacons. We may decide to have daily or weekly prayer meetings. We may decide to fast one or two times a week, which I recommend. But these words are the absolute bedrock foundation of our life in Jesus Christ. When we are looking at these words, we are near the core of the Christian life and the core of the Christian duty at the heart of what is on Jesus' heart. Our identity, our purpose, and power are all found in these final words. Let me repeat, our identity, our purpose, our power are all found in these final words. And here's how it can be expressed. I thought about this a lot, so listen carefully here. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit to every ethnic group in the world and teach them to repent, to receive forgiveness of sins, and follow Jesus. Do it now. 
and always, to the end of the earth and the end of the age. That's my summary of Jesus' last words. I'm going to repeat it. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit to every ethnic group in the world to teach them to repent, receive forgiveness of sins, and to follow Jesus. Do it now and always to the end of the earth and the end of time. Let me make this a little clearer and a little closer, so clear that you cannot escape from this identity, so close that you can see yourself becoming something new. You may be a nurse, you may be studying to be a therapist or a piano teacher, you may be a high school teacher, you may be retired, you may be an administrative assistant or an artist, a musician, any one of these you may be, but you must be a witness crossing cultural boundaries to make disciples. These are Jesus' last words to us. You may be many of these things, but we must be a witness. Another way of expressing this is we may be occupied or have different diverse occupations, but we all must be preoccupied as followers of Christ. Preoccupied to make disciples. A preoccupation is something you have on your mind all the time. You just can't get rid of it. For some of us, it might be an anxiety we have, but I would like to inject a preoccupation in your souls right now that you be preoccupied with reaching out to people that are different from other cultures and other languages, to think about that all the time. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Preoccupied to make disciples. That's who we are. We are at the core sent people, sent to those who are different, sent to cross-cultural barriers. To Panta ethne means every people or every ethnic group, all, all the people. A few stories may help. I've got lots of stories. I won't tell too many this morning, but just a couple. Um, we used to live in Singapore, and uh, I, I've taught in Thailand and, and uh, East Malaysia, West Malaysia, and other places. But I, I was teaching a course in Asian church history in Cambodia. And this was about uh, 10 or 15 years ago when the church was very young in Cambodia after the Pol Pot regime and things were wiped out. It was one of the most difficult places to be because of all of the mass killings and the genocide. They had mass graves that were very shallow and the bones were coming up and the material from the fabric. It was unbelievable, the, the suffering of that country. And while I was teaching, there was a young woman there who later on I found out her name was Kong So Paul. She was probably about 25 years old at the time, and I had her in my class, and I noticed quite often she would kind of look away and be crying, and I didn't think my teaching was that bad, but she was weeping. So I asked somebody, because everything was taught through translation, I don't speak Khmer, and so I asked to have lunch with her and have somebody translate so I could find out a little about her story. First thing she said, I said, why, why are you crying so much? And she says, the children, the children need me. I said, what do you mean? So she told me her story. When she was a young teen, about 13 or 14, her father was killed uh, by the Pol Pot's regime, and they were scattered, and they had nowhere to go. They lived in the city, and he cleaned out the city. He just wiped out the city. Everybody had to go out and, and plant rice out in the fields. Well, 
Most of these people didn't have rice, they didn't have fields or nothing. So Kong So Paul's father was killed, and her mother and, and brother and her were living underneath somebody's hut. Now, in these tropical areas, when it rains a lot, it's always muddy underneath, and you build your houses on stilts, and underneath is where the, the dogs, the chickens, and the pigs, and everybody, everybody lived. So that's where they were living, underneath this hut. And they were trying to raise enough money to buy a field so they could farm. And so they did little odd jobs. Well, somebody had given them, before they left the city, a little New Testament, and Kong So Paul would read that, and she'd be comforted by the words of Jesus, and uh, her mom and her brother had no interest. Now, I have to believe this because this woman's life was changed. She said that three times Jesus appeared to her in a dream, and he says, So Paul, so Paul, come, you have to tell the children in this village about me. And she didn't know what to make about it. She didn't know where the village was. And she told her mom about the dream. And her mom says, you silly girl, you know, get to work. We have to make money. Jesus came back again. So Paul, so Paul, the children, they need to hear about me. Go to such and such a village. Happened three times. Her mother got very angry at her. She kept reading the Bible. Her mother got angry. And I'll never forget this. I looked at her, and I have a, a picture. I was, if, if I did... PowerPoint or something, I would bring the picture. I'll send you a copy of the picture. Because we're eating the meal, and her mother had told her, so Paul, you are so stupid. You're ugly, and you're stupid. Why do you do that? You're no good to me. And you know, my heart just broke when I heard how a mother had talked to her that way. So I said, so Paul, you're not, you're beautiful. So I, I took a picture of her, so I would remember what she looked like, and I'd remember her story, and I promised that I would tell this story wherever I went. So she went to that village. She left her mom and her brother. She took the Bible, and she went to a house, and they took her in, and she started reading stories about Jesus and gathered children around. Now, as you probably guessed, when children come around, the parents are curious, and they're going to gather. So she literally built a house church around 15 or 20 children and the parents sitting on the outside. And so when she was weeping in my class, she just felt she needed to be with her children. Oh, my children, my children. But it wasn't just the children. It was the children and the parents. She had started a church, and all she had was, was the Bible, just the New Testament, actually. Kong So Paul understood by divine intervention that to be a follower of Christ is to lead people to Christ, to go and maybe leave your home, maybe leave your village. So she planted a church simply by reading scriptures and understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Here's another story. I was uh, teaching a seminary in Singapore, and some elders from a Presbyterian church came to me and said, um, we would like you to be a pastor of our church. And I said, thank you very much, but I have a full-time job. And in Singapore, you teach twice as many courses as our faculty teach in America. So I was very busy, I had no time, and so I said no. And then the uh, principal or the president of the seminary came to me and said, understand these people from Jubilee Presbyterian wanted you to pastor the church. Why did you say no? I said, well, <laughs> I can't do that. I've got four kids and a wife and trying to teach here and trying to do some writing. I don't have time for that. Oh no, you should do it. You should pastor the church. <sighs> Well, he's my boss, 
So I said, okay. And the reason they needed me to pastor the church is because this was an English language congregation in a Chinese church, a huge uh, uh, Jubilee Chinese church in, uh, in, in Singapore. And so they had 400 English-speaking people who needed a pastor. They had a preacher, but he wasn't yet ordained, and so they needed me to pastor the church. And I was amazed. And in about three months, the Chinese congregation said, well, you've got a, enough people now. Why don't you go out and start your own church? And I said, I, I just want to preach on Sundays. I don't want to start a church and look for property and build a building. So we were kicked out of the congregation and we had to start this church. And I, I was wondering, why in the world am I doing this? I'm the only Angmo, which is a white guy or a foreigner, in this church. Why am I pastoring this church? Why don't So uh, there were some very bright elders in the church and I took two of them out to a really nice lunch. Uh, you know, just lots of, you know, like an eight-course Chinese meal, and said, I really think that you should be the pastor of this church. You should go to seminary and so forth. Oh, no, 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 I, I, I don't want a pastor. I want to be a missionary. Uh, well, we need a pastor for the church first. We had seven missionaries we were supporting overseas, and we couldn't get one person to be the pastor of the church. And I reflect that. I said, why is that? And I think what it is, 93% of the congregation were converts. In other words, they were raised Buddhist or Taoist or Sikh. And, and, and God had met them and changed their lives, and they couldn't wait to tell other people and, and to evangelize others. The church was just a place where they gathered to learn to be sent out. They didn't see that they were called to, to just pastor church. They were called to be sent out. Well, I have many other stories about the very strong sense of sentness that were part of the churches where I was in Asia. I think we can learn a lot from these growing churches around the world. Remember, recall our basic identity, which is found in the last words of Jesus. Again, our preoccupation should be reaching out cross-culturally. We have many different occupations, but as a church, we should all have this one preoccupation. So what does that mean for us here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire? Three brief suggestions, and then I shall adieu. One, make prayer for the nations a constant pattern of life and worship in this church. The nations are on Jesus' heart. They should be in our prayers and in our hearts. Part of that might mean studying about the nations of the world and finding out how to pray. I have friends from Myanmar. What's going on in there is just tragic. Friends from Ethiopia, friends from Nigeria. And the more people you know like that, the more you know how to pray. But we begin, if we really believe in prayer, we begin by praying God's power to break out into these areas of the world. So begin with prayer. Secondly, look around. Be attentive to what's going on around. Is God bringing people to you? America is a great nation of immigrants, and they're coming. I met, uh, went to a Presbyterian meeting in New Hampshire where I met a man who is uh, one of the, uh, the lost boys from the new heir from Sudan, and he's been to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. 
and uh, he seemed so out of place. And then also, the whole, we met in a church of Indonesians. All of the people are Indonesian immigrants in this church. It was amazing. Now, that's in New Hampshire. So my guess is there are people coming here, moving here from elsewhere. And the way that I look at it is sometimes we go, and if we don't go, God says, okay, don't worry about it. I'll bring them to you. And so he brings them here. And it could be, if we're attentive, some of those people are our neighbors or around us. That's the second thing I would say. The third thing is pray about actually going to reach others. I'm glad to hear that you're working on a mission trip to Dominican, especially to work with Haitians. Those are immigrants. Those are refugees. Uh, Haiti is one of the most almost, I hate to say hopeless because I'm a Christian, but one of the most hopeless nations in the world, uh, run by gangs, uh, the violence there, the ignorance, illiteracy rate, poverty rate, I just go on and on. And if you're escaping from Haiti to get to the Dominican Republic, you're pretty, pretty needy. So praise God for that. I was glad to hear about that this morning. But did you know about 85% of the Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists in the world don't even know a Christian? They don't even know a Christian. How will they ever find out about the love of Jesus if somebody doesn't move near them or visit them? That means that proximity, or more accurately, the lack of proximity, is preventing people from knowing the love of God in Jesus Christ. We still need to find ways to touch the lives and hearts of those who have never heard of Jesus over 2,000 years after Jesus rose from the dead. The church is the answer to that. God established the church to, to go out, to touch the lives, and to bring the love of Christ. Christians are sent ones. These are my last words for today. And so they're top priority. Christians are sent ones. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.